Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Just a quick announcement from before. Brad Ply sent me a little message saying that Samuel is seven. So, in case you were curious, he's seven years old. Live again. That's our sermon title for today. Live again. As we think of that, you might uh, have seen things on Facebook or other social media that have these funny little videos of people singing about how difficult it is to stay inside. I saw one where a guy was pounding his head on the window, longing to get outside. Everybody is struggling with this shelter-in-place idea, and we think as though it's just miserable. And so far, we've been sheltering in place for a few days. Okay, From what I'm hearing, this may go on for an extended period of time. We are for sure in the shelter-in-place until mid-April, I believe it is. But this could go on for months yet. Because as far as I know, we're still finding more and more cases of coronavirus or COVID-19 in our nation, in our area. And therefore, we don't get out again until it goes down. So to live again is a really, I just love how God is so faithful and he allows our readings for the day to really fit well with what we are going through. To live again is what we need to hear. Now, as we do that, in order to to, to do and to resonate well with our text, we need to look at at Ezekiel 34, verse 7. Ezekiel 34, or 37, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 37, what we're looking at, Old Testament lesson for today. Verse 4, it says, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. And I think that's so important, and I want to ask you the question, how is it that you hear the word of the Lord? And you might look at me somehow and say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? What are you asking? Well, I want to ask, how do you hear the word of the Lord? Does the word of the Lord come to you? Think parable of the sower. God gives his word to us. And do we, are we just those that it hits and it bounces off again? And it's like the bird that took that seed away. There are those around us that we know and love where the word of God is like that and they just don't have ears to hear. So very sad, but so true. How many times in Ezekiel's day and the years before it, how many times did the prophets speak again and again and again, and they kept telling God's people, repent, turn to me, have life. And they had ears like hard paths, and Satan came and took it away. Or are we that when life, kind of the heat turns up in life, like the coronavirus is coming around, all these other things are happening, does the word of God then kind of get shallow soil so it doesn't have any room to grow and it doesn't really produce any fruit? Are we so encumbered with all of life's pleasures and riches? Do we have a hard time bearing fruit or do we hear it well? My hope is this morning, as we watch and as we hear God's word, that it will actually impact us for good and impact our fears and impact our concerns and impact how we wait and live in our shelter in place. So as we think about this, 
What is the word of the Lord? And I want to bounce now from that Old Testament lesson to the gospel and just hear, have you hear again what Jesus says to Martha. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I hope all of you are just smiling from ear to ear. Did you hear that word of the Lord? Did you hear it? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. Amazing. Have you heard it? Is it getting inside? Is it impacting you? Let's do the three questions. You know I'm stuck on that right now. So the three are, God, you are. And we know that Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh. And so, God, you are the resurrection and the life. Wouldn't it be great after church is over today if you would take some time with your family or call somebody on the phone and interact with them and say, what difference does it make to know that, God, you are the resurrection and the life? Therefore, in Christ, I am one who lives again. Isn't that what scripture says? Romans chapter 6, we have died with Christ in our baptism and we've been raised with Christ to newness of life. In Christ, you and I live again. Whether we are sheltered in place or free as a breeze, whatever it might be, we live again. And we can look at our new normal through Jesus' eyes. So now I will. God, you are the resurrection and the life. Therefore, in Christ, I am one who lives again. So now I will, what? Live under him in his kingdom, right? Live this new life, whatever it looks like. And I'm going to give you, I want to just read to you a few things I was thinking about earlier, about what this would look like. You know, Romans 10, verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Well, we know that Jesus is a resurrection and a life, and that means that you and I, we aren't. We don't have that power. I wonder how many times we're invested in people's lives, and we think, I've got to do all the hard work so that that person believes. Have you ever done that? Nobody here has. Have you? I used to put so much pressure on myself that I needed to do a certain thing. I needed to make, turn all the conversations the right way to make everything all about Jesus. But then I'm reminded that Jesus is the one who does all the hard work, all the heavy lifting. He's the life giver, but he does give me a very important job. I participate with him. I share what I know with those whom I love and God puts in my path. I also pray. Remember how God says in his word, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more and more laborers into the harvest field for the fields are white. Do you think now might be a good time to talk about Jesus with our world? Yeah, probably. Because the labor, we need more laborers. Maybe he's raising you up. Maybe what we do is we not only pray, we not only share, but we pray that God would open hearts. Do you pray for your parents? 
Do you pray for your siblings? Do you pray for your kids? Do you pray for your grandkids? Do you pray for your neighbors? Do you pray for your coworkers that God would open their hearts to the good news of Jesus? Again, what I shared a little bit on Wednesday night is there's a DCE that got together with the, the cluster with Pat on a Zoom video, and they said that their, their teenagers, their, their youth that they're working with, one of the things they're struggling with right now is boredom. And you might be at home and, and like, I've run out of Netflix things to watch and I've run out of YouTube videos to watch and I don't know what I'm going to do. I wonder if we would take the time to begin to think through those that God has put in our lives and just thank God for them. I mentioned that in the video yesterday. And then it takes some time to pray for God to bring those loved ones into a closer, more intimate, dependent walk with Jesus. Do you think that would be a good thing? I think it would be a great way of living under him and his kingdom and walking with him. I think that would be a new way for me to live life. The old way for me to live life is get caught up with all the distractions of the world and simply YouTube myself to death or eat myself to death or do all these other things. But God says, I've got more for you. I've got an abundant life for you. I've got something new for you. Come live life with me under my kingdom. But now let's go for a moment to the Old Testament lesson again. Ezekiel, time of the exile. And so, as again, when the exile happened, the, the Babylonians came in and they pretty much destroyed the place. And they took a number of people into, into Babylon, a first group, and then probably, I don't know, 12 or so years later, they took a second group, okay? And when they, when they did that work, they were over there then in Babylon for those 70 years, and during that time, they, it was just a struggle, you can imagine. Well, actually, we probably can't imagine. But what I want you to think about is, why is it that these, exceeding, that these people who went over there, why is it now that God's giving them this vision of these dry bones? Well, it's because that's how they are. They feel as though they're dead. They're outside the promised land. They're outside of having that chance to worship in the temple at Jerusalem. And so he says, can these bones, this dead nation, can they live again? And he says, I don't know, only you know, God. Why were they dead? Why were they dry bones? Jeremiah 2.13 says it in such a wonderful way. It says this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Before we look around at our culture and say, yeah, those around us, they have forsaken God. Because that's true, right? There's, we can always look around us and see people who have forsaken and walked away from God. But these were God's very people who had turned their back. Are there ever moments of our day where we forsake him? We're all going to do it differently, right? Some of us get stressed out by schedule. Some of us get stressed out by certain people. Some of us get stressed out by, by health things. Some of us get stressed out by, just name the thing. There's lots of different things, right? Are there times when we work super diligently to make life work, make my life work my way, rather than trust God? 
And sometimes what happens is we simply busy ourselves deceiving ourselves. Okay, so they forsook their God, but they still said, the temple is here, temple's here. Look, I go in and I perform my rituals in the temple. Look, Jerusalem is still standing. Look, Jerusalem, the temple, I do my sacrifices. Everything's good with God. And yet the prophets would rail against them time and time and time again. They were self-deceived. Remember how Eve in the garden, the serpent came up and deceived her? And she walked away and forsook the Lord who loved her? The people of Israel, deceived, self-deceived, and walked away from following their God. Does that self-deception happen in our lives? There's a little, little something from the book Humilitas. I want to read this to you, just thinking about self-deception. A, sto- a story is told, apparently it is true, of Muhammad Ali during the peak of his career. I understand that he is now a truly humble man and that many of his public antics were just showmanship. But on one occasion, as he was flying interstate to defend his world heavyweight title, the captain abruptly announced approaching severe turbulence. Would passengers and crew fasten seatbelts immediately? Normally, some turbulence means severe turbulence, so I hate to think what was in store. The crew hurried up and down the aisles to check that everyone was safe before strapping themselves in. One flight attendant noticed Muhammad Ali toward the front of the aircraft with the seatbelt obviously resting on his lap, undone. Excuse me, sir, would you please fasten your seatbelt, she asked. The captain has advised this could be quite rough. Ali looked at her and calmly said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Quick as a flash, she replied, Superman don't need no plane. I would love to have seen the world champ, the world champ's face in that moment. He loved wit, and I can only imagine he secretly admitted, admired this feisty attendant. In any case, there's a jarring unreality 30,000 feet in the air in the middle of a storm daring to think you don't need the seatbelt. When, in fact, you not only need the belt, but the crew, the pilot, and the plane. I wonder how many times you and I, we wouldn't say out loud we don't need God, but by our actions, we keep showing that we're trying to do it without God. Thus, self-deceived. Or think of this, there's a little study put out. Um, There's a philosopher, his name is Greg Elshoff, He titled the book, I Told Me So. He talks about self-deception in public and private life. Listen to this. A survey of one million high school seniors found that 70% of them thought they were above average in leadership ability. Only 2% thought they were below average. I wonder how that works with the averages. In terms of ability to get along with others, all students thought they were above average. 60% thought they were in the top 10%, and 25% thought they were in the top 1%. It might be tempting for us as adults to explain this as arrogance of youth or the extravagance of the Y generation. But there's another research that was also done, and that found that 94% of college professors 
think they too are doing a better than average job. <laughs> 94%. So it's not just kids. So where is it for you? Where does self-deception express itself? As you think through that, what helps us? In the middle of our fear, in the middle of, I've got to take care of it myself. This morning, the thought kept running through my head over and over and over again. I hope this makes some sense. I don't actually know the story very well. I'll have to look back into other books. Isn't there a little thing about Chicken Little? What do you know about Chicken Little? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. And I wonder sometimes if we don't think that by running around like a chicken with his head cut off, which I have seen that before. I grew up on the farm. So okay, like we think that if we just run around often enough saying the sky is falling, that that worry and anxiety will do us some good. Isn't that a little bit of self-deception? If I just stay busy constantly, even though I'm not doing anything helpful, if I just busy myself with doing everything I possibly can, I'll be okay. And you know, in the middle of all the self-deception of Israel, all the self-deception of, that we go through, you know what we desperately need? You're not just sitting there, are you? You know what we desperately need? We need to hear the word of the Lord. Which is why I'm so glad you're here today. Because we are like sheep who like to stray, right? We like to go our own way. And I'm so glad that God brings us again together, even if it's on the internet, so that we might come together to hear God's word. What does that word have to say? It reminds us that Jesus says, what? I am the resurrection and the life. Now we are reminded as we look all the way through Scripture that we are sinner saints. We struggle and yet we are new creations in Christ. The word says that we should humble ourselves so that Christ might then, in his right time and right way, exalt us. You see... Self-deception keeps putting me at the center of getting everything fixed. I'm in charge. Whereas when I humble myself, I say, no, God, I trust you. Here's my failure. Would you please fix it? So that we might then walk with God. Remember how that works? Those two steps? Do you remember? It's been a while since I shared them with you. Abiding, trusting God, walking with him, repenting. When I fail, I just repent and come back. How many of us, instead of doing the abiding and the, the repenting, we kind of abide and then when we fail, we just try harder to do better instead of repent? Again, I give you this message over and over again because it's really hard to stop trying harder and instead to trust more as we repent and follow him. So a little story, one more out of this book. I promise it's the last one I'll read to you. For today. In 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary conquered Mount Everest with his Sherpa friend and guide Tenzin Norgay. What they achieved, especially with the kind of equipment available at the time, stands as one of modern times truly great physical feats. Hillary was duly honored. Later in 1953, he was knighted 
1985, he was made New Zealand's High Commissioner to India, Nepal, and Bangladesh. And in 1995, he received the British realm's highest award, the Order of the Garter, member, membership of which is limited just, to just 24 individuals. More important to Hillary were his efforts to give back to the Nepalese something of what they had given him. Through the Himalayan Trust established in 1960, he built hospitals, airfields, and schools. He epitomized the noble choice to forego status, deploy resources, and use influence for the good of others before himself. That's living again. That's living under Christ and his kingdom, looking to others and meeting those needs first. We might remember that in the middle of our current pandemic crisis. One story captures the essence of Sir Edmund Hillary's outlook, that of humility. On one of his many trips back to the Himalayas, he was spotted by a group of tourist climbers. They begged for a photo for the, with the great man, and Hillary obliged. They handed him an ice pick so he would look the part and set up for the photograph. Just then, another climber passed the group and, not recognizing the man at the center, strode up to Hillary saying, Excuse me, that's not how you hold an ice pick. Let me show you. Everyone around stood amazed in silence as Hillary thanked the man, let him adjust the pick, and happily went on with the photograph. Isn't that humility? He absolutely knew what was right, but he wasn't about himself. It was about the others. When you and I are engaging with our family and friends and they're afraid, listen. That's part of living again is that you live no longer. Doesn't it say in Scripture that we died with Christ? It's no longer about our personal agendas. It's no longer about how people see me. I struggle with that every day. Can I get over myself? I've died with Christ, and now I live a new life, and it's Christ Jesus who lives in me, who's far more interested in you than making sure that I look good. Do you know what the good news is? The good news is Jesus came, Jesus who is the resurrection and the life, and he's come into your life and mine so that we might get past our self-deception, that we might look to the cross, that we might live each day trusting Jesus and turning back to him when we fail and smiling from ear to ear, even in the midst of a coronavirus, knowing that we have life everlasting. One day you and I will be raised Either we will have passed on before and he will raise us from the dead or he will simply change us if he comes before that day. But think of these comforting words. Listen to, hear these words. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus says, I'm making all things new. Jesus says, one day you will live and reign with me, new heavens and a new earth. Will you hear those words today? And will you let Jesus work so that you might live again well under him and his kingdom? Amen.